What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is a fabric guru. He has been awarded for green and sustainability focuses in his business. He is a community and hospitality enthusiast. He is the CEO at Valley Forge Fabric, at Valley Forge Fabrics, and he is Mikey Dobin, my best friend since I was 12 years old. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, um, I've been waiting for this since I was 12, so this is great. I know. Even before the podcast existed, it's like the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, so just so everyone here knows, like my whole life in this industry actually would not be possible without my friendship to you. And because your parents were in this and were real pioneers in the industry, and you opened up this whole amazing world to me. And it's one of the things that I know we talk about all the time. I'm freaking so amazingly grateful that we're able to be best friends in life and also be able to talk shop all the time. How about you? So I love it. Um, I, um, I think as uh, Morpheus said to Neo, I can show you the path, but you need to walk it. So my parents may have introduced you to a couple people, but you got the job interviews and you built yourself in the industry. So they Did you just they, drop the matrix right there. They may have just shown you the path. That was it. But um, no, I mean, I'm lucky. I get to speak to my best friend um, almost every day. And we definitely talk about shop all the time. And um, I think you said a few years ago, at one of the trade shows we went to, we were sharing a room. It was actually four of us in one room. You said, when we're 60, are we still going to be sharing rooms at the trade show? And we all said, yes. So one of those people is already 60. Yeah. One of those people may already be 60. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. Yes. <laughs> it's so insane. Um, I think, yeah. And it's really funny because even as, you know, we've grown and developed success and all this stuff, we still love sharing rooms. It's the best. It's the I best. Know. I mean, I'm, whenever I travel, I always try and stay at friends' houses. I mean, there's, everybody has to do their work and, and, do what they're there to do wherever they're traveling. So the only time sometimes you see each other is when you wake up in the morning or right before you go to bed at night. But that those 20 minutes here and there are, are priceless to me. Yeah. And, or, or sometimes it's those 20 minutes at night. I just remember you fade real fast and you're just like falling asleep right there, but you're in the presence of the person you're around. That's it. I'm out. So you, you burn so bright. Is there, is there a quote from the, uh, from the matrix about that about burning so bright yeah i'm sure there is i'll go watch the trilogy again this weekend uh i'm actually looking forward to the sequel that's coming out next year is it a sequel or a prequel uh i can't answer that question but all i can tell you is i'm excited for whatever is related to the matrix that's coming out it's going to be great Awesome. Well, you know, so talking about being at friends' houses and sharing rooms together and all of this, like, and, and thinking about the industry that we're in and kind of what we do, you know, the big question of this podcast that we're doing is like, how do you, Mikey Dobin, define hospitality? So for me, hospitality is a place where I feel like it's home away from my home. So I think if it was on my grandmother's pillow, it would say home away from home or something like that. But essentially, that's where it is for me. I just want to feel comfortable with where I am. I've been to a huge gamut of different places I've stayed from uh, lower end hotels to very high end hotels to friends couches to friends beautiful guest rooms to friends who have guest houses. And I'm, I'm actually not a very fancy person. I just want somewhere where I feel really comfortable to be me. 
And so if, if from all of those different environments, from the big fancy guest house to the econo lodge, like, is there, a th is there something through all that that makes you feel most comfortable? And don't say a bedspread. Or you could if you want. Uh, I will, you know what? I won't <laughs> talk about fabric. I won't say the bed. Um, for me, I would say it's environment mixed with social. So the design is very important to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it doesn't have to be a fancy design. It just has to be a design that makes me feel a good emotion inside. And the social means just people that I would enjoy being around. So if it's at someone's house, it's going to be friends or their kids. And um, if it's a hotel, I just want a really friendly bunch of people there, whether it's other guests or whether it's the staff at the hotel. I mean, so I've been I... hotels with super fancy staff. I kind of feel out of place. Well, exactly. Okay, so that's interesting. And it kind of ties into the question I wanted to ask on, you know, you do have, you do curry favor with some of like the most atrocious hotels I've ever seen. Like you love staying, like it's almost like you have a sense of pride of staying at some of these places with like blood on the walls and just insanity, right? It's like, it's like a badge of honor for you. But like when you talk about the people and the environment, like both of those things are lacking. So in that instance, how do you find joy in that? I'm curious about that one. Uh, so I don't know if I've stated a blood on the wall one for a while. I think I've grown out of that phase of my life where that was a badge of honor. Um, but I do love staying at places where I can walk up to the front desk, we can joke around, I, I learn their names so that when I walk by, I can say hi. And, and there are certain hotels that do this better than, better than others. And there are those hotels where, you know, you just, you want to ask the person where they're from, who they are. They're the type of person you want to talk to. That's really where I want to stay. And so sometimes, um, I don't know. I think I sometimes shock people with that. I just want to meet everybody. I think I'm just an extreme extrovert, but I, um, but I do. And it's fun for me. And when I, when I go to hotels that have very rigorous processes and there are people almost feel like they don't want to talk too much or say the wrong thing, then uh, I don't really love that hotel as much. So I think you may have just said it right there you are an extreme extrovert. And that's one of the things that like, I've been so drawn to you over the past, is it 30, 40 years, however long it's been over the, the past multiple decades. And actually, now that you said that, what came into my feeling is that, okay, so if the, if the environment and the people are really lacking, you actually bring this energy to create your own level of comfort and hospitality and, and welcome as your own hearth, right? I try to, and you know, sometimes my kids don't love it. Um, we okay. went and stayed at a hotel uh, several months ago in Captiva, up north in Florida. It's a few hours north of us. And um, everyone I spoke to, I looked at their name badge and I referred to them by name. And my kids, uh, my 13 and 14 year old said, dad, that's, it's uncomfortable. Why are you calling them by their name? They, 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 I think it's surprising them because no one does that. And I said, well, they're people, they're human. Why wouldn't people do that? Um, when I stop at the edge of a highway and there's somebody who's asking for a dollar, which happens a lot at the, at the side of the highway in Florida, um, I always say, what's your name? And they tell me their name. And I say, oh, I'm Mikey. Nice to meet you. And I give them a buck. And my kids have always thought that was a little odd because most people don't do that. But I, I always want to talk to everybody. I don't care who they are. And, and everybody's got a name and I want to know who they are. It's funny. Something about the kids and the name and the first name made me think back to when I first met your dad. And I said, oh, hi, Mr. Dobin. I'm Dan. And he was like, I forget what he said. He's like, who's Mr. Dobin? I'm Dan. And 
do any of your kids or your, like what happens when your kids' friends call you Mr. Dobin? Does that happen? What do you say? I say, you really need to call me Mikey. I said, that makes me very uncomfortable. So going in with this whole idea of comfortable and like how you feel comfortable when you're in people's homes or in hotels, you know, you've always been so welcoming to others and not just in your home, but also as an entrepreneur in your business. And I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, like, it, and maybe there's, there's a similar thread that ties them all together, but like, what's, what are some of the things that you do to make other people feel, com other people feel comfortable around you? I think it may depend on the situation, but I'm relatively good at reading people. And I think that listening is always really important. Um, people want to be heard. There are people who don't want to talk that much, but want to laugh. And I'm happy to help them in, in laughter. But I think people need to feel... Uh, a human connection. And sometimes we go into situations where we feel we have to act a certain way or project a certain something. And really, we just need to be people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best way to make anyone else feel comfortable. So I, I'm very lucky. I have a lot of great relationships with people. And I am uh, confident that people will say that I'm extremely real. If I'm, you know, going through something, I'll talk about it. I'm not ashamed of it. We're all going to go through stuff. Um, and some of it's embarrassing, but I'm not ashamed. There's a little bit of a difference for me. And I'm really happy to talk about it. And I think that once one person opens up to the other, then you move on from cocktail conversation and you move to real conversation. No, I've experienced that a lot with you. And, I, and maybe that's why we're also so intertwined because I feel that, that, that I guess it's like empathy or sympathy or just understanding once you get to those deeper levels, it makes almost the space between two people speaking that hearth and that area of comfort. Um, I think we've lost that, by the way, as a society of it. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I do think social media has made that more difficult. So I think, you know, we've all heard the quote, uh, you're comparing your real life to everyone's highlight reel when you're looking at social media. I think that was a big quote two years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely true. And so while we're looking at everyone's highlight reel, and by the way, I'm not really on social media. So luckily, I, I'm not in that uh, hamster wheel. It wasn't making me happy. I got off a few years ago, five or six years ago. But while we're working, looking at everyone's highlight reel, it, it doesn't make you feel better about yourself. Even though we should all just be happy for the person, it, it makes so many people feel a loss um, loss of what we might not have, loss of what we might not achieved. And when people meet other people, there's now a feeling that you have to project your highlight reel almost when you're meeting someone else. And I don't like that. I don't respond well to that. And so most people I meet, I get pretty real right away. And it's amazing their barrier goes down. And then you get the real them. It's funny, particularly within our industry on the highlight reel part. <clears throat> if I would say like we furnish hotels, right? That's what we do. We're dealing with the interiors and, the, and a lot of our, the people that we're working with are designing those spaces. And a lot of those people that are doing that, their clients are, it's, it's a real estate business ultimately, right? It's like, how do you do this? And I found that with a lot of the, a lot of the real estate folks out there, it really is all about the highlight reel because it's as important and the value that we put on creating these spaces of individual connection, I feel like for not all, but many, many ownership groups out there, it's really about the transaction and that game and like building that highlight reel. What do you think about that? Um, 
I would say that I would have agreed with that 10 years ago. And I think things have changed a bit because mm -hmm. a lot of the ownership groups now have such a passion for the properties that they own. And you see a lot of ownership groups that used to have a lot more transactions that are now holding um, and holding for a long time. I mean, even during the pandemic, the transaction prices really on great properties were really not that discounted. They didn't have to be because there was so much money going on, uh, so much money out there. And, and people are still holding on to great properties, properties that I think 10 years ago, it would have been a lot faster uh, to transact those properties. And maybe because apart from the pandemic, those properties were cash flowing really well, but I think they also have a deep love for the industry that didn't exist as much, uh, at least to my memory, prior to 10 years ago. That's really interesting because I, I didn't want to say all, but I wanted to say many. And I also think that, you know, if you think about the ones who are passionate about it from the top down, when it's like, that's their vision, they want to create these places and, the, and they want to create these memories, if you will. It, it transcends from the top down all the way to the guest experience. Whereas it's almost like, you know, when you're in a hotel that it's just a, it's a transaction. You could definitely feel the difference in a hotel that's going to be, or part of a transaction versus a hotel that is a little bit more owned by someone with a little bit more passion for the business. And maybe I should say, some of those hotels owned by someone with a passion for the business may still be part of a transaction in the future, but there's still a passion for that owner to develop it into something really unique and really special. Mm -hmm. And our industry has done a really great job of that through the years. I mean, it used to be that you'd go to hotels in so many cities and you're like, I could be anywhere when I wake up today. Most of those hotels have a touch of that city that makes you really feel and realize where you are and it feels good. Yeah, and I, I think that's super important, especially now like with the, I don't even know how you define a boutique hotel, a lifestyle hotel, an independent hotel, but like, it's kind of like, I don't know, kind of like how the Supreme Court was said, I, I, I don't know the exact ruling, but they're like pornography, you know it when you see it. It's like, you know, when you're experiencing one of those hotels, right? Where, where there is that passion, that connection. It's not like a rocket ship or like landed on Mars and then they just opened this hotel where, where that happens in a lot of places where it's just totally disconnected from everything. Yeah, and um, that takes time. Hmm. I mean, building a culture takes time. And it's, it's not easy. It has to be done organically. You can't fake it. So you definitely feel it wherever you are. Yeah. It takes so much time. And that's probably the hardest part and arguably the most important part of any business. Um, yes, I think you will hear that from many people. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think that strategy is huge. But I mean, if you have the right culture that will foster people to share ideas, then you're going to come up and have the best strategies. So, yes, I think culture is more important than anything right now, but it's also like a catchphrase that kind of annoys me because now like everybody's like, oh, company culture, have a, you know, a ping pong table and serve beer on like Wednesday afternoons and you've got a culture and, you know, culture is, is so much more than that. I mean, culture is how you work. Culture is how you interact when you work, how you interact when you're having fun. But it's, it's, it's all of it. It's not just one thing. You can't just buy a couple things and, and have a culture. And every company has their own culture. And it's up to those people in the, con in the company to, to, to embrace it or to not embrace it. But it's, it's really hard to develop one. And I think that we're going to see a lot of change in company cultures over the next three years. I don't think work from home forever is sticking. I think we've all come to terms with that. I, it's pretty interesting if you look back in the pandemic at what people said in April and what they said in July and what they said in September. I think we've all come to terms it's not sticking. A hybrid of maybe three days a week might be sticking, sure. 
but building a company culture where everybody's remote versus maintaining a company culture for a year while everyone's remote are very different things. But I think that with the hybrid that we're maybe coming into now, um, we may see cultures and companies change in a pretty big way that we have not seen yet. I totally agree. And from most of the friends that I have that have businesses, whether they're hotels or businesses or whatever, this is like the big debate right now. Is it three days? Is it five days? Is it four days? Is it fully remote? Um, and it's a really interesting debate to see play out. But when we first started talking, you said that hospitality is all about like human connection or that that's really what makes you feel comfortable. And to me, culture is really defined by, yes, that human connection, but the human connection is defined by the language that each hotel or business or whatever develops and the way that they communicate with each other through that human connection. So I think that like buying a foosball table or having a, a beer keg, okay, that's fun, or the ping pong table. But really, I think the, the companies and the properties that really nail the culture thing right is when they're speaking a similar language. And that's like a value-driven language that it's not just a poster on a wall. Like I've, I've seen so many companies with posters on a wall that just, those words really mean nothing. It's like people first. I've seen so many companies that don't put people first, especially through the pandemic. And when you can develop across all those values a language that everyone is speaking, it really strengthens and deepens that human connection, not just from the, from my experience, not just from the, oh, everything is amazing, but also from those tough conversations and, and being able to speak in that language that everyone respects culturally. What do you think about that? So um, first of all, what it brought up in my head when you first described it was, I remember in those old airplane magazines, you'd see a, a row, a team rowing and it would say teamwork and it would have mm -hmm. some things. And I always wondered who bought those, but then I'd see them in people's offices. So there was obviously a great market for them and maybe I just missed it, but I know exactly what you're talking about with those. And those always kind of made me laugh. I think, um, I think people first has a lot of different facets. And you, when you mentioned, especially through the pandemic, um, I mean, it was, it was, it was the hardest adjustment, especially those first 90 days that I think any company has had to make. And I said to a good friend who, um, he has a, he has a very large company, super smart guy. And I said to him, I, we saw each other first week of June. We see each other every year, first week of June. And I said, you know, I feel like even though I ran a business for a lot of years, I never knew how to run a business until the pandemic. And he said, None of us knew how to run a business before the pandemic. He said, we all learned so much. And the truth is, we all learned a lot personally, uh, in our relationships, and in our businesses. And people first in the pandemic was tough because a lot of companies, especially in our industry, had to do some right-sizing at the beginning of the pandemic. And so even though that may have happened in past recessions, it was never like this. And it was never right. as quickly and, and as immediate as this. And what we all learned was that we had to actually practice what we've heard for so long, which was sometimes you do have to make some personnel changes to make sure that the majority of the people you are putting first. And it's so easy to say that, but it's really hard at the time to do it. It was some of the most gut-wrenching, most awful days ever was at the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember we were reading in newspapers, uh, like on our iPads. I'm not saying I read, you know, fuzzy newspapers anymore, but that um, some of the big hotel chains had to put people on furlough. And, and, and there were so many naysayers to it. And, and I remember thinking, you know, people's revenue are going to zero. They're going to zero. Like you, 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 you can't just say, I'm going to do nothing because then all of the people in those organizations, those organizations wouldn't survive. 
And there has to be an engine in the world of business that is employing all of us. Whether you own the business or not, you're still employed by the business. And I just remember reading so many articles where people were so judgmental about it. And I think every company had to make their own decision. And I don't think that decision was easy for for any company that was out there. So I totally hear what you're saying on the right sizing and just like keeping the boat afloat and going. What I, what I was meaning more on the people first side was, you know, I would go into, I went into so many hotels during the pandemic and, you know, it's, it's people first and, the, and everything looks beautiful and everything for the guest experience. But then you go into the employee break room and it's like the most disgusting place you could ever see. So there was just like a disconnect between like, okay, people first, like our customers are having this great experience, but really how do we treat our people inside? Whether they're like the ones who are working there, and I, and I understand the whole the right size, but that was just like super illuminating and surprising to me. And that's that's kind of more what I meant on the on the people first side. But I totally hear what you're saying in all those other spots. But like in your experience with that whole looking outward versus how you're treating your actual people inside, like what do you see on that front from a cultural point of view? A huge difference. I mean, if you want people to treat the customers with respect and to bring happiness, then you need to bring happiness to the people you work with. Mm -hmm. So if you go into a break room that is like a dungeon and it's awful, well, I could imagine that the relationships that the people working there form with the customer are not going to be as good as they could be not even close. And when you have amazing customer service somewhere, really amazing, ask the person who's giving you that customer service, how do you like where you work? They will either tell you, amazing, great, fantastic. When you're getting bad customer service, if you really wanna know how that person likes where they work, they will probably say, it is a job I deal with, I don't like it, I don't like how I'm treated. It's as simple as that. So people first actually does create profitability and it creates a stickiness with clients because it's going to translate out to the clients. But no, a lot of companies don't see it and it's, it's unfortunate, but it translates to everything. I mean, we um, have acquired businesses in the past and when we put a lot of people first, um, not just activities and culture, but just changing the way the manufacturing is, making things easier for people. Um, and, and just putting a different level of care and certainly even a fresh coat of paint and aesthetic can make a big difference. Then the output you get, the quality you get, um, it, everything completely changes. It all has, it's the right thing to do, but it also has an ROI to it in a business. Yeah, which is sometimes that ROI is really hard to measure, but you, it's like, again, you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it. And it, it, kind, it has a halo effect that maybe... It's that I I don't know. I feel like it's hard to to trace back to like on a binary fashion, but like it's definitely measurable in some way. It's very measurable in some way. I will say, though, that one of the hardest things for me has always been you cannot make everyone happy. You just can't. And so you really we've really had to focus on, you know, what's going to What's going to be right for the 80 or 90%? And we're human. We always hear the 1% where there's an issue. And then the 99 compliments you get, you're like, I didn't hear any of that. Nobody said any of that. And um, so it's hard. You always have to, um, what did someone say to me once? The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And really it's, it's understanding what, makes the majority of people in your organization really fulfilled and really happy um, and not being swayed by a few critics that see a different direction. And if they do, that's okay. But it's just sometimes, sometimes we listen to the loudest angry voice and we don't listen to the 99 happy voices. 
Yes, I totally agree. And it's the main thing, the one thing, it's, it's really having that focus and prioritization. So coming back to kind of the beginning into that hospitality and like culture connection, can you think back to a time where whether in a hotel or a home or a business where that you had your best experience of hospitality or feeling comfortable and how did that delivery of that service or that comfort change your your arc and, and kind of how you operate every day so i'm going to answer your question quickly but then give a different example i hope that's okay so there's no rules here the best service i've ever gotten in hospitality mm -hmm. And we're talking in a hotel, not at a friend's house, correct? No, it could be a hotel. It could be a business. It could be a friend's house. It could be anywhere. You know, the best I've ever gotten in hospitality is always when I stay at a friend's house. Just happy to see them, their family, happy to see their lives, the good, the bad, everything in the house. I, it's, it's the best. I don't care if I stay on a couch and I'm going to be woken up at five in the morning by a two-year-old who's like patting me on the head and wanting to play a game and their parents are like, oh my God, Mikey, so glad you're here. We're sleeping in. Um, I, I love that. I can't get enough of that. It's just, it, that's really fun for me. But in terms of hospitality in a hotel, I think it was in um, 1999, I went to the opening of the W in... San Francisco, 98, oh, 99, man. something like that. And I remember that one of the things that they spoke about there was, we're going to bring a nice experience in terms of like a luxury property, but the people working here are going to be nice. And I think that we had a big run up in the 90s for some of these really cool places in New York and San Francisco where you couldn't even get into the club unless you were staying in the hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least I couldn't. Maybe there were really cool people that could, but maybe I tell myself no one could, uh, except that they were staying at the hotel. But they were so cool. But part of the cachet was they treated you like shit. I can I curse on? You can do whatever you want. Okay. So they treated you so badly. They were so rude. They made you feel like you were insignificant. And it was like the worst, the people who worked there, it was almost like they were trained, the worse you treat people, the cooler people will think it is to be here. And I remember that W where they said, listen, we're gonna have a really cool spot, but we're actually gonna treat you well also. And I just remember thinking, this is so much more my jam than any of those places where they just treat you like crap. And, um, and, and I've always held that, I love that. When I have someone come over to my house, I mean, the first thing I say is, uh, my house is your house. If you break something, you break something, don't worry about it. If you mess something up, don't worry about it. Um, and definitely anything you want in the fridge, like it's yours. And um, I, I really feel that way. I don't want people to be careful. I don't want people walking on eggshells. Friends come over and I always say, do not bring us a bottle of wine. Do not bring anything. If you really feel the need that you have to bring something, then I'm going to give you the name of a charity and you can just donate 10 bucks to that charity and let's all feel great. But you don't have to bring anything. Just bring you. Like we're inviting you because we want you here. We're not bringing you here because we want a gift. Yeah, I, I can attest to that because I stand at your refrigerator often looking in there and trying to choose what non-gluten-free things there are in the fridge that I can eat. <laughs> There are very few non-gluten-free things, I'll have to admit. But it's also like, I don't know, I go back to like, to how, you know, being at someone like Michael Bedner's house, right, who founded HBA, and the thing that he would do that I loved, and I still have, is have a huge galvanized tub full of ice with beer, wine, soft drinks, it was just there. So if, if he knew people were coming or not over, he'd get that freaking big clunky thing out, make us go get ice, fill it up, and then just cram it full of things in, in a way to be like, you know, my house is your house, be comfortable and take whatever you like. And 
I, I have a galvanized tub out here. I think you do too. Yes, I do. So he's a really good example of someone who can make anyone feel like home away from home. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I would bring so many people to that house, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, we would meet people at traffic lights. Be like, hey, we're headed to the beach. I don't know what you guys are up to. Do you want to come? And we'd show up and Michael would just introduce himself to them and he'd look them in the eyes in only a way he could, making them feel like they were the only person important in the world and say, I am so glad that you are here. I'm really grateful you're here. And I, I really am just feel lucky. And I hope you have a really great time here. Totally. And everyone he said it to was like, God, this, I just, I just want to hug this guy. He's amazing. Yes. So he had a real way of making people feel at home and he has a real way of making people feel at home. I mean, every time I go there, I, I just feel like I want to stay and be protected forever. Yes. I, I completely, it's that bare love he has, you know, it's just, it's, you just feel it. And it's, again, it's that connection and it's the, it's the connection of, okay, the hug, but it's also that, that space between, right? There's like, there's a palpable thing that exists in the space between people, right? And he just like has this force that is just overwhelming there. And, and there's so many people in our industry that have that. And again, I think that's really what makes our industry so special because we're so, we're so interested in making sure that that space between is as true and welcoming as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's what Dave Matthews was writing about when he when he came up with that song. Is it called The Space Between? I'll sing it towards the end of the podcast so you can decide <laughs> whether you delete it out or not. Oh, great. <clears throat> awesome. Okay, so cool. Now, so just kind of thinking about like with our industry and where we are and all like as insane as the past year and a half has been, um, a recession, a depression, like nothing that we've ever seen. Things are starting to come back to normal. In many places, like, you're like, what pandemic? It just doesn't exist. Uh, thinking about, like, where we are today as we come out of this, like, what's keeping you up at night right now? This might sound crazy. I mean, 20-something years in this business, and things have always kept me up. I mean, you know it as my best friend uh, and confidant. I mean, you've heard it all. There's been so much that's kept me up. Um, I would say that the last few months is the first time in a really long time I do not have much keeping me up. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe because at the beginning of this pandemic, None of us knew what was going to happen, right? We all, we all have our own story from March, April, May, June. And it went from confusion, disbelief, terror. Um, I mean, I literally, I saw someone in the airport with like a white hazmat suit thing on, like the whole white suit. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like we are really in like a science fiction movie um, <clears throat> it was, it was, it was really amazing. Like the, the stages we all went through. Um, and now I would say that we're in, um, rebellion stage, which is, you know, we're just like, I'm done with it. And I mean, go out to Miami, go to any club. I mean, if the, if they fit 150 people in a club, there's at least 300 in it. Yes. I mean, it is like, just, it's just bonkers. And, um, in terms of keeping me up at night, <clears throat> I guess it doesn't have to do with our industry. I mean, and, and this, this, if for the, for the first time, I don't have something keeping me up about the business as much as I have something keeping me up about just the world that we, we've seen a bigger and bigger divide being created. Um, economically between people in the world, not just the country. 
And I think that what happened in the pandemic to me made the divide even more pronounced. And I'm not just talking monetarily, but if, if you had a position in a company, whether it was uh, something as a professional within a business where um, you're part of operations or finance or sales or project management, <clears throat> many, many companies, you could go remote. And during that April, May, and June time, you could feel safe because you were remote. You might have to go to the supermarket or you could order it, but, but, but you didn't have to go into an office. But then there's a huge group that their job is hands-on, had to go into the office. And so it felt like it was the first time where it wasn't just uh, an, an economic difference that was very visible coming into society, but that there was a difference in your ability to keep yourself in a safe environment versus you having to go into an environment that maybe others, you, you didn't feel as safe, but you had to do it because that's where your, your job was or what your job required you to do. And so that may be what's keeping, that may be the most uh, prominent that's keeping me up at night because I, I don't know how that changes. And after it was so prominent in this pandemic, um, I don't know what shifts it creates uh, in our society going forward. But I think they're gonna be more dramatic than they have been over the past years. That's interesting. So like, obviously, like the economic divide, yeah, I get it. But it was really prevalent, called like a safety divide or something like that, or a, it's not even comfort. It's like, it's, it's, it's just, it's like a survival thing. Like there were most, so, so many people could just, like you said, work remote, work from home, but other people had to go into the, the belly and the beat of the beast. And the beast was, was really just like the unknown. Like no one knew how this thing was transmitted, what was going on but they had to go to work. They had to yeah. go to work. So, I mean, <clears throat> first responders, who I think we all have like beyond respect for. It, I mean, there were times in April, May, and June where a huge percentage of this country, um, <clears throat> maybe the world, but I know best in our country, at least from my experience, because that's you know the news I've watched, the people I know, um, were, were scared to leave the house. Right. You would you would hear or see on YouTube. There were people devising ways that uh, an, uh, an Uber Eats driver could leave something in a bucket at the bottom of an apartment and somebody would take a rope to bring it up because they didn't even want to walk downstairs of the apartment building. <clears throat> and then you had first responders <clears throat> that in this time of such fear, we're saying I'm suiting up. And I'm going right into it, right? Like mm -hmm. working in a hospital, working in a doctor's office, being a police officer, a firefighter, going into all of these places. <clears throat> but you also had so many people who worked in factories, right? Or worked in distribution centers, all going to work and or supermarkets. And I remember going to the supermarket. I, I've never gotten into the online ordering for my groceries, which I know sounds odd because I'm I do a lot of things that use technology, but I'm weird like that. I like to look at the aisles. I like to talk to people in the aisles. I like to, um, I, I like to see what my, you know, fruits and vegetables are. I don't know. That's my thing. But I remember going to the supermarket and I would always thank the people who were working behind the register because they had to come in. That job can't be done remotely. And they were there and they were doing it and, and they were doing it with a smile but they had to be as scared as so many of us. And, you know, I'd go to the supermarket and be like, oh my gosh, that 45 minutes. And then I'd go home and I'd shower and I'd wash my fruit in palm olive, right? Remember April of the pandemic. And there were people who had, were working eight hours a day in there. And it was, you know, probably uh, a thankless job in a lot of ways. But you could see that divide that happened because there were people who said, not only do I work remote, but I want things delivered to me. And I have no judgment on that. Great. Like, if you can do that, it's awesome. But 
putting yourself in the shoes of someone who could not do that and who was working in those environments, um, it must have been a very odd feeling. And then, so going back to that March, April, May, where it was like super unknown and dark and like fast forwarding to where you are now, like if you like shortening that transition from who knows what's, which way is up to where you are now, like, is there any advice or experience share that you can think that might help when someone not in that particular thing, but in a place like that to getting out to the light at the end of the tunnel? Like, is there, is there any feelings or advice that you, that you maybe have developed that you feel really sure about that you could share with others? About a business or about life or about life. And you name it, anything. <clears throat> I think I have more faith in humankind's ability to get through anything. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you believe in <clears throat> politically, if you just look at humans in general, we are very resilient people. <clears throat> and we were going to get through this no matter what. Yes, there was uncertainty. Yes, there was time uncertainty. But I think that I shed my fear in July. And I had a few months with, with a lot of excessive fear. I'm not saying I never have fear anymore. There's always fear in life. But um I would say that having a little bit more faith in ourselves and our ability to get through things and maybe not watching the news anymore because watching the news was the worst thing I did. And when I stopped in July, it, it was like everything changed. You could watch one channel and you know, there was, there was, there was no pandemic. You could watch another channel and you were going to die tomorrow. Like maybe, maybe tomorrow night instead of tomorrow morning, but it would be tomorrow. And there was, there was nothing in the middle. And it was just, it's just so bizarre to me. And so I think stopping watching the news and actually just talking to other people and feeling connected uh, was was what brought me back to what brought me back to center, what brought me back to base. And I think that brought a lot of people back to base. And you know introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. People get happiness from other people being around them, right? Obviously, only you can make yourself happy, but other people could certainly accentuate your happiness, and you can certainly enjoy just being around others. And so I think, the pandemic brought so much unhappiness because we got secluded from so many people and totally. depression's at an all time high and people just got way too secluded. And if I could go back and give myself advice in March of the mm -hmm. pandemic, it would be just do your best to just live your life. Be respectful of everybody but live your life, go see people. And I didn't start to do that till July. And so four months I had people withdrawal. Like I said, I'm a big extrovert. So taking away something that gives me life force is tough, but it just having faith that it's just going to be okay. And if it isn't okay, it will be at one point. I think that that is, again, it ties back to that first thing you said of the human connection. And I know I've been in a, in, had depression before and a seeing a therapist and they say, listen, this, you, you don't want to see anyone. You don't want to get out of bed. You're in this place, but I'm going to tell you something that makes no sense to you right now, but you just have to force yourself to do it. Go see people, get out there and connect with people. And somehow like in that resiliency of humanity, having that connection and just even sometimes forcing it, forcing the communication, forcing the call, forcing whatever it just it connects it it reconnects us all to everything and 
stabilizes and creates opportunity. So I love that. Now, so now that we've kind of come to where we are and like, okay, we, we have fear, but really nothing on the business front is keeping you up tremendously right now. Like, and we start looking to the future. What's exciting you most about the future um, in our business, in hotels, in life? What excites you most about the future right now? I don't think humans are meant to stay still as much as we've all stayed still. I, I don't know if we're meant to stay with any one or group of people as much as we did, right? So many of our families, I love my family, but it's also good to, absence makes the heart grow fonder a little bit. You know, it's good to get out, good to see. But I think that people felt so dark for so long and now it's like flooding with light. And the next five or seven years are just gonna be so awesome. They're going to be so fun. They're going to be so good. Um, I, uh, I told my team, this is the year of hugs. I love it. I even started signing things to my team just on emails, like hashtag YOH. It is the year of hugs. We're not going to get enough hugs. It's going to be unbelievable. And people will, and it may take another six months, may take another 12 months. People will get back to licking doorknobs again. It doesn't matter. Like it's, you know, we're all doing it step by step. We all remember, maybe some of you don't, but I do. The first time a few weeks ago, I went into a supermarket and I didn't have a mask on. And half the people didn't have a mask, half the people did, because in Florida, you don't wear masks in supermarkets anymore if you don't want to. And I remember feeling like, am I doing something wrong? I don't want to feed people to feel upset. It's, it's a little interesting. And then I'd see someone and they'd see me and we'd kind of nod to each other like, no mask, not bad, not bad. Like, felt so good. And you just can't wait to be with people. But this is the year of hugs. And the year of the hugs year. is going to last for five years. I love the year of hugs. And now when I'm seeing people, I, like I'm asking them, can I hug you? And almost everyone is like, absolutely. A couple yeah. people, I just want everyone to feel comfortable, but I love that year of hugs. Y -O, hashtag Y-O-H. Yeah. I, um, I'm seeing a, a really good friend in DC um, and uh, tomorrow night, and I just said, full disclaimer, I give much bigger hugs than I used to. And oh, uh, I really feel that way. I, I needed be, to give him a heads up, but yeah. It's going to be like a bear on a honeypot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hugging everybody. Uh, awesome. Well, like, so I know we've learned so much from you now, like shifting gears to like learning more about who you are. Um, like what, you, what lights you up outside of work? What's your most favorite thing to do outside of work? I mean, number one favorite thing to do outside of work, anything with my kids. Yeah. What's your anything favorite thing to do with them? I mean, I have a huge amount of things I love to do with them. I mean, I, I can list some of them. Uh, some of them are ridiculous. I used to love bringing them to the mall, which I'm not like a big mall person, but I would play this game like, can you like follow me? And I'd walk over and then I'd point like up and all four of them would point up and I'd just hold it for like 10 seconds and people would gather around us looking up, like wondering what we were doing. And then like we'd walk somewhere else. So I love doing things like that, that just kind of confuse everybody around us. Always really fun. Um, love teaching my kids how to do prank calls. And uh, you, you, those are great. You have to figure out how to do it to keep your number unlisted uh, because otherwise people know it's you. But I love doing prank calls with my kids. Uh, I love going to the beach with them. It's great. Mm -hmm. I love seeing them play outside. Um, anything where they laugh. I mean, when we do dinner at night and one of them starts joking around and the other starts joking around, they all have their own personalities. It's, it's the best. Love it. Love so, it. Um, and then the three things you're grateful mm -hmm. for, you know, at oh, the, yeah. every night when I tuck them into bed, what are the three things you're grateful for today? Okay, good. Well, 
I love that. Like the, the pointing up in the air is like a total freaking, it's like a, a, it's like a, you're acting out a dad joke. It's like a physical dad joke. <laughs> yeah, it might be. I love it. So uh, that's one thing I love doing outside of work. Um, the other is just being with friends, mm-hmm. being with totally. friends. It's the best. I mean, I don't, you know, whether we're hiking or talking, just having fun, kidding around, um, anything with friends is really just the best. Um, so now I always say like, what I do is inconsequential. What I do or why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys. So if you were, so this is my journey shortener question. You're going up to your 25 year old self. What do you, what would you ask your younger self? What would I ask or what advice would I give? Well, uh, that would be the second part, but like you, as you are right now, you go up to your younger self. What would you ask yourself? Huh? That's, I didn't see that one coming. Um, what would I ask myself? I would probably ask myself, Hey, what are you doing tonight? Because whatever it is, I want to go with you. Cause I think it would be freaking awesome. I, I think that's that actually, that's definitely what I would ask myself. I love it. Great. So you party with your younger self. Okay. So now switching it, your 25 year old self comes up to you right now. What do you ask your 46 year old self? Um, probably a few things, but I would say the number one thing I would ask is how did you get past the emotional baggage and fears that you carried with you that you really needed to get rid of to become the happier person that you are now. Yeah. I I wonder if that's the same thing we would all ask ourselves, by the way. Uh, I've been asking that of a bunch of different people and no, it's all very different and all over the place. Um, But I will agree with you in that I, for every, I think that for every person, I think obviously there's, there's structural and environmental things, but really, I think the thing that holds all of us back the most really is between our, between our ears and in our heart. And uh, basically I think that we are our biggest obstacles. So the more that we can look at and pull at and understand how we can remove ourselves as obstacles and how we can have compassion, I think is um, for ourselves and everyone, but really for ourselves is pretty profound. Yeah. I mean, if, if the voice in your head was a real person, how intolerable would they be? Like I would never room with that person. Yet we're stuck with them. But it's yeah. like half the time they're telling you you're great, half the time they're you're telling they're telling you you're a loser. You're like, "Who are you? Stop saying this stuff." But it's you. You know, you yeah. it's our voice in our head. But if our voice in our head was a person, man, we would totally kick them out of our lives. And I would, I would also say that you know, we have multiple voices in our heads. There's that intellect that's like yelling at us, right? Do this, stay that, don't color within the lines. Then there's that emotional child that's there that just wants to go and have fun. And then there's like, who do we really aspire and want to be and who are we naturally wired to be? And the more that we can be able to split those warring factions out and listen to them all, not ignore them because they all have something valid to say. I think, uh, the smoother our journey and the more enjoyable and more present and mindful our journey will be. Uh, Awesome. Well, Hey, where can people find you? Um, You mean like my email or something? Yeah. Email. Dovin at valleyforge.com. Mdovin valleyforge.com. Your company website is www.valleyforge.com. They can find you on LinkedIn at Mikey Dovin. And yes, but full disclaimer, I, I don't do social media. So don't, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, but it, it, it may not be, you may not get a response. It's like once every six months I go and go through all that stuff. Great. So email you, um, 
Awesome. So thank you. If anyone wants to learn more, please check out Mikey at valleyforge.com. And uh, that's it, everyone. I hope you learned something today, laughed today, or just had a great time. So thank you all very much. And uh, we'll check you next time. Thank you, everybody. 